This is Colin Shaw. Before we start the show today, I wanted to tell you about a free report that you can download. At the end of the show, I'm going to give you a link where you'll be able to download a quick self-assessment that will benchmark you against hundreds of organizations who have embarked upon the journey of improving their customer experience using behavioral economics and psychology. And the best bit is it's free. So just stay tuned to after the show and I'll give you the URL. Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. As a consultant, you're being paid for an opinion. I mean, I always say that we often tell our clients that their baby is ugly. And I think this is where you really can say that you've made it, is when other people start telling you that you're an expert. Beyond philosophy is trying to get over the sense that you can have a philosophy, but you need to go beyond it and do something. So, Colin, we're going to start off today's podcast with a word of congratulations. I recently found out that your consulting firm, Beyond Philosophy, was uh, awarded a Financial Times Best Management Consultancy Companies in the UK Award, which is a very short list and a very prestigious prize. So, congratulations, Colin. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, it's um, really good and really proud for the whole of the, the team. It's it's always nice when you get recognized by somebody like the FT as being one of the top management consultancies in the UK. I think it's really good, really proud. It's amazing. And I understand it was it was kind of a surprise. This isn't one of the things where you can nominate yourself and hope to get awarded. As I understand it, the process is somebody else nominated you and it was voted on by clients and peers. And so it's lovely when something just kind of surprisingly shows up in your inbox like that. It is. And when LinkedIn said I was going to be one of the top 150 business influencers, you look at it and you think, yeah, this is a spoof. Someone's <laughs> trying to... <laughs> so, well, Somebody's like making LinkedIn money off of this. Yeah, I thought to myself, yeah, I'm going to just delete this. That's, that's a load of old rubbish. But um, <laughs> the good news is that it, it's not. And it was, it, we didn't know about it simply because it was voted on by clients, nominated us and peers nominated us and so it makes it it makes it all much more worthwhile in my book. So yeah, really pleased for for the team about it. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. Based off of off of that award, I I had this idea. I requested this topic as a podcast. We talk a lot about kind of the science and application of scientific principles in customer experience management. But there's a topic that you are an expert in that I know absolutely nothing about, and that I'm very interested in. So. I thought that that this session we could talk about how you formed beyond philosophy and the, and the path that led you there and then advice that you would give to anybody starting their own firm. So let me start by just asking you what caused you to make that jump? What caused you to decide I need to start something new as opposed to trying to work with somebody that already existed or, or taking some other path? 
It's an interesting thing, and it, it, you start to get to interesting questions like, what's life, the universe, and everything. But um, <laughs> Let's start it, small, Colin. Yeah, 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 absolutely. The catalyst for me was that I was working at British Telecom, and when I started working at BT, I set my sights and said, I'd like to get to a senior management position as SVP. And then I set, you know, set about getting there, basically. And I got there. And once you're there, you start going, is this it? Is this what I'm going to do for the rest of my life? And then I read a really good book called Who Moved My Cheese? Mm-hmm. Don't know if anybody's read it, but it's a really good book. Very simple to read. Could take a couple of hours. Who moved my cheese? And it made me realize that the bit that I really enjoy is the journey, not the destination. Mm-hmm. So you, you get to these senior management positions, and it's great. You got the car, you got the salary, you got those things. But you know what? What actually was the real fun was getting there, not being there. And so I decided actually, I want to set off on a new journey. And my new journey was to go, can I set up my own consultancy company? Can I make it successful? You know, is that something I'm capable of? And um, and started down that path, basically. And I know that a lot of listeners are either consultants or are thinking about being consultants at some point. So maybe some of the things that I've gone through will help them as we go. Well, I'm excited to hear them. So I know you made a list, a list of advice. Yeah. So the, I think the first thing I would say is, and I'm just working on the basis of going, so if I was somebody listening to this, uh, you know, what advice would I give them if we've moved from literally, you know, starting off nobody knowing me to where, where we are today, winning the award, LinkedIn, top 150 business influencers. So, ha- you know, what are the key things? And one of the key things that I, I discovered at the, the beginning was because I'd been doing customer experience in BT for some three years before that, I knew a lot about it and nobody really knew very much about it. This was back in two, the year 2000 and we started Beyond Philosophy in 2002. So I think the first bit of learning was that I recognized that actually I was an expert in customer experience, but the issue is nobody knew about it. And I'm now talking about in the wider market. So I was an expert, but nobody knew that I was an expert. So that forces you then to go, okay, well, if that's the case, then I need to tell people. And therefore, that then starts going about, I wrote my first book back in 2002, started to do conference speaking, you know, all those types of things over the years, built up the, the profile on social media. And initially starting to tell people that I was an expert and then obviously proving it in what we did. But it then reaches a life where, and I think this is where you really can say that you've made it, is when other people start telling you that you're an expert. So, you know, it's not just me that says I'm a thought leader. It's other people that says I'm a thought leader. And that holds a hell of a lot more weight than than me saying it, because I can say loads of things. It's much more meaningful when somebody else says something. So I think that was the first piece. The only way that you 
if you're going to be a thought leader and you're going to make your mark, again, by definition for me, it means you've got to have an, some original thought. So, you know, the second part is you've, you've actually got to come up with something new. Don't just repeat what everybody else has said or don't just regurgitate what other thought leaders are saying. You've got to come up with something that's new that will define you, that you believe in, that has an effect. And again, we did, or I did, in the in, and I always say we because we quickly started a team as we, of people as we started to do this but um, started to talk about custom experience because back in 2002, nobody was talking about it and then started to particularly go down the the emotional and then subsequently the subconscious psychological side of an experience. So have an original thought, I think, is the second one. Was that something you were passionate about kind of concurrent with starting the firm or did you have this idea that, you know, it's it's time for me to get out on my own? What is it that I know that's differently? Or or was it more about, gosh, you know, there's there's this huge need out there and people may not even realize that they need it, but I know that they need it. Or was it some of both? It was the latter. So two things happened. My boss, my CEO at the time turned around to me at, at BT and said, Colin, I want you to improve the customer's experience, but I want you to do it at least cost which is always the challenge they throw in. And that made me start thinking about what's a customer experience? Why do we, you know, what does it mean? I just read the book, The Experience Economy by Pine and Gilmore, which is an excellent book um, that talked about, you know, the experience economy and therefore started to, those two things combined and therefore started to do it. And then as I did it, I was thinking, this is with commoditization, you know, everything in the market's the same. Customer experience has got to be important. And so decided to 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 jump ship and thought that, yeah, I think customer experience is going to be big and therefore you want to get into it at the beginning and therefore, you know, took the risk and decided to leave and set up my, my own company. I have to say the conversation with Lorraine, my wife, was an interesting one. <laughs> so now we've got we've now got three kids going to university quite an expensive time and I'm now telling her that I'm giving up my large salary uh, with my company car and blah 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 and I'm going to work out of home and I hope this is going to work um, <laughs> <laughs> that was an interesting conversation but she was always been really supportive in what we've what, what I've done and I don't think people can do it without that type of home support as well so I do think it's about you know it's on my list being brave I think you've got to be brave and I love quotes. And one of the quotes I wrote down here was, there's only one thing, you know, the only regrets that you have in life are the things that you haven't done. In the book, Who Moved My Cheese? Great question was asked, which was, what would you do if you weren't scared? If you're leaving a lot, you know, corporate life that I'd been in, earning a lot of money, and suddenly three kids at school, going to university, you go, oh, is this a good idea, you know? And you're scared, basically. But what would you do if you weren't scared? And what I decided was, you know what? I'm going to leave and set up my own company. And if it doesn't work, then, you know, such is life. But it's the journey that's going to be the interesting thing. Does that make sense? It does. That's great.
So be an expert, proclaim your expertise and prove it. Be brave. What else is on your list? Uh, So what else is on my list is be focused, be clear at what you're good at and what you're not good at. So the topic of customer experience is large. You know, it affects recruitment, training, it affects measurement, it affects systems, it affects everything in an organization. And I quickly decided that I can't be an expert in everything. I need to be an expert in customer experience. So we are experts in defining the strategy. And then people will know the company is called Beyond Philosophy. Uh, And this ties into the next area, which I think is vital. Beyond Philosophy is trying to get over the sense that you can have a philosophy but you need to go beyond it and do something. And again, this is what I think we try to do in these podcasts is we do the theory and we do the practical. So I think that's again key. You need to have the theory. You need to have that original thought. But you know what? It means nothing if you can't actually go out and do something in a business and change something. And that for me is key. So you've got to be focused you got to go, this is what I'm good at, and therefore this is what I'm going to do. You've then got to focus on not just the theory and the talk, but you've got to focus on the doing and the, and the practical, because people will find you out very quickly if you don't produce results. That I mean, that focus point is hard, because as an entrepreneur, early on, it's unlikely that jobs are just going to be falling into your lap and you're going to be beating off opportunities with a stick. And being focused means realistically choosing to not get certain types of work because you want to stay focused. So, I mean, how do you maintain the discipline of that when you're afraid of making rent, but at the same time, you need to adhere to your brand and stay true to what you can do? Any advice on sticking true to that other than just do it? (laughs) I think it is just being, for me, it's about being clear one of the problems with being an entrepreneur is you can do anything. You've got nobody telling you to not do something. Yeah, you can do anything. And and suddenly everything becomes a good idea. But the issue then becomes actually launching that idea, spending time and effort, money, launching that idea takes a lot. And if you suddenly, you know, nobody's buying it, then you've got a big problem because you just spent a load of money and time and effort. So you've really got to just be disciplined with yourself and go, what are we good at? Let's just stick to our knitting. And I've certainly absolutely been tempted to go down different paths. And sometimes we have gone down different paths, not too often, I hasten to add. But you quickly come back and go, what are we What are we good at? Where are we going to have the biggest effect? Where are we going to have the best team? Where are we going to make the most money from? I don't think it's rocket science, to be honest, mate. I think you've just got to be disciplined. And unfortunately, part of that is too many people are not disciplined enough and can get distracted by shiny objects, basically. If I was giving some advice, be clear. Think about what you're good at and what you're not good at. And when when you say you're good at something... Where's the evidence that you're good at it? So I remember sitting in meetings at the very beginning of Beyond Philosophy, and I've got no track record. I've got no profile, no presence, no no nothing. Why would somebody employ me? 
well, they would only employ me if I'm being credible in what I'm saying and I then go out and do it and I then produce results and then you can start saying, hey, look at what we did over there and hey, look what we did over there and that starts to build things up. The other part for me is that that builds into that is you've also got to have an opinion. As a consultant, you're being paid for an opinion. And sometimes that means that you, I mean, I always say that we often tell our clients that their baby is ugly and that can be difficult. And with different types of people, let me also be clear, you can lose business by by saying that but actually again you've got to be true to yourself and you've got to have an opinion how you put that opinion over is obviously needs to change but you've got to have an opinion and you've got to back it up if you just flow with the wind if the ceo says one thing and everybody in the room is you know just agreeing with them because they're the ceo and you're the only one that's that's countering them then that's good you know i think because if you're a CEO, you don't want yes people surrounding you. You want people to give you a contrary, contrary view. In fact, one of our early clients, we did some work in the early days with a company called Yorkshire Water in the UK, a water utility in the UK, and they had a really good cultural bit where they didn't argue, but they used the word challenge, and they basically said, I want to challenge that. So you would be in a meeting and somebody would say something and then the person would say, I'd like to challenge that. And that I really thought from that, 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 those very first days, that's a really good word to use. It depersonalizes it. It does. It's not saying you're wrong. It's not saying that's incorrect. You're going, let me put a contrary view, you know, because challenging something is good. And as long as you've got the type of environment where you can do that, I mean, in Beyond Philosophy, and you'd have heard me say this, Ryan, we use a phrase in Beyond Philosophy, which is none of us are as clever as all of us. So I don't think it's necessarily just been me that's created Beyond Philosophy. It clearly hasn't been. It's been the whole team. And that's another one of the, the 10 things I've got here. You know, it's build a great team. And it's never an individual that gets you there. It's a whole team effort. And the team have got to gel and have got to have a purpose and got to feel that they're doing the type of job that they want to do, got to feel that they're contributing. And they've got to feel that it's, you know, not just you as the boss and you as the the front facing person who is going to um, come up with all the good ideas because, you know, lots of great ideas come out from just that challenging environment and debating things and having an opinion and having an original thought and then challenging, are we actually focused on the right things and should we be doing it this way and how that's an interesting thought, but how do you make it practical and, you know, how do we operationalize it and, you know, all those types of things. I think one of the smartest things I ever read about entrepreneurship was somebody who said, most entrepreneurs don't create businesses, they create jobs. And what this person meant by that was a lot of entrepreneurs don't look to create systems and create teams so that it's not just their own individual expertise that's doing everything. 
because then the company can never grow beyond them, as opposed to when you surround yourself with a great team and you develop ways of training them and develop systems for solving problems, then it it becomes a business. It becomes something that exists beyond your own expertise. That absolutely is key. And the good thing was that obviously when I was at BT, I'd learned a lot about leadership and building teams and all those practical things. So I was then able to bring that learning. But I have to say, and this is maybe number 11, there is such a difference between working in a big corporate and working by yourself. I mean, just simple things like I remember sitting in my bedroom going, right, I need to print 100 of these off. Now, normally, I would have pressed the button, called Sarah, my secretary, in, and asked her, said, could you print 100 of those off for me? Now, suddenly, you've got to do it yourself. And I'm not saying it's below me. It's just the time it takes. You know, the time that those types of things take to do uh, and the basics and the infrastructure that you miss because you're no longer in a large corporate environment, it's really surprising and I think certainly shocked me. And the other part was just realising how much money is wasted in, in corporates. It makes you a hell of a lot more cost-conscious when you're running your own business and it's your money that you're burning. A couple of other things I think are uh, important. One is, uh, and, and we talk about this a lot on the podcast, I make no apologies for mentioning it again today because I do believe that this is a key part of creating success and that is focus on what drives value for your customers so again you can do loads of things but if you don't start moving the dial for your customers if you don't create roi for them if you don't increase profit increase market share increase net promoter customer satisfaction you're not doing your job and again, that ties in with original thought and being practical and all those things. But you've really got to focus on for your customer what drives value. And I'm really pleased that, you know, we've got clients like Maersk Line who improved their net promoter score by 40 points over 30 months that had a 10% rise in shipping volumes. You can start to say that. That starts to give other clients confidence that, you're going to do the same for them. It sort of has a multiple effect. Two other things I would mention. One is since 2002, we've gone through a few recessions, let alone the Great Recession. One of the first things that happen when you go through recessions is training and consultancy are one of the first things that get cut. And therefore, if I flip that and also go that, you know what? There have been times when we've made bad decisions. I won't go into it now just because of time, but I made a really bad decision once, which was when we were, we flipped between being reactive to demand and I flipped it to being proactive to demand. So what that means is we get all of our leads come through because people contact us. And at one point, about 2004, I thought, well, if we're getting this amount of leads coming through, then what happens if we're proactive? We invested a lot in that proactivity. 
And it was a mistake, basically, because guess what? We discovered that people that were contacting us were sort of pre-qualifying themselves. In other words, they had a need. When we were contacting other people, they didn't have a need. So we invested a load of money in, in doing that, and that was a mistake. What's the learning? The learning is actually, and this is a phrase I love, which is just don't quit. If you've made a bad decision, if you've done something wrong, just don't quit. There's that famous poem that talks about actually you've got to just in the dark days when you think that you've maybe this isn't the right thing for you and maybe you'd made a mistake and maybe you should go back to PT and maybe this and maybe that. Don't give up because, you know, success is just around the corner and loads of other people will give up and you need to carry on doing doing what you're doing and just go, yeah, I made a mistake. That was a bad mistake. Um, Now we need to move on and move upwards. That's a very specific poem about going back to BT. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I mean, I mean, let me be clear. There have been times, particularly in the early years where I thought to myself, well, maybe I should do that because you weren't pulling in the money and everything else. And, and that I think ties into my last one, which is just family support. You just need to have the support of your family. So having Lorraine has always been extremely supportive of of anything that I'm doing. But, okay, let me be clear. Having a conversation where we go, we got three kids that are going to university and uh, I'm going to give it all up because, you know, I think this is a good idea is difficult. And then going through the first couple of years where you're getting in a bit of business, but you're thinking, well, I'm not sure if this is going to be enough. Now, I go back to where we are now, winning the FT Award, getting one of the top 150 business influencers on LinkedIn, 275,000 followers on LinkedIn. Lorraine and I now go, yeah, that was a good decision. (laughs) Well, I mean, it kind of goes back to your lessons about the importance of team. Your significant other, your family, they are drafted into the team whether they want to be or not. And so... Wow. And even the kids to a certain extent. Yeah. You know, even because you're spending all your time working, you're working hard. You know, don't do this. Don't become an entrepreneur if you're scared of hard work because it's bloody hard. But again, you know, absolutely worthwhile at the at the end of it. And genuinely, there's nothing better than when a customer says, thank you. That was a great job look at the results we've been getting. And that's why I've been so pleased with the FT award because it's not something we've sought. It's been voted on by peers and it's been voted on by customers. So again, that just shows me that the team are doing a great job and and long may it continue. That's great. Thank you, Colin. It's a great list of advice. I appreciate it. So when you start moving into your axe business, then mm-hmm. just let me know and I'll come in and I'll give you some advice on that, mate. That'd be no problem whatsoever. Axe consultancy <laughs> is what I'm looking at. <laughs> yeah. Just give people advice on... Axes are us axes or something like that. <laughs> what axes to buy, feedback on your swing. Yeah. Now, you see, you're going into areas I've never even thought of. I'm envisioning these podcasts someday being subpoenaed in a trial of some kind. (laughs) 
not sure what exactly that. But. Yeah. Um, Excellent. Well, congratulations, Colin, to you and, and to all your team. I've met many of them. They are lovely, brilliant people, well-deserved, and I'm very happy for you. Great. Thank you very much. And yeah, it's, it's absolutely been a team effort. So thanks to all the team for all the support and thanks for all the the people that voted for us. It's really, really great to win. And I hope these thoughts have been of use to some people today. So thanks. Thanks, everybody. This is Colin Shaw. I said I'd be back with you after the show with the URL for you to undertake the benchmarking of the free report on the intuitive customer. All you need to do is to go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash assessment. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash assessment. Complete the assessment. You'll be measured against hundreds of other people that have completed it, and you'll be sent a report on how well you're doing. I hope that's useful to you. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.